0: mosaic. Let's stand as we approach his throne of grace together and welcome to you our friends online as well.
1: And are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is called
2: Saturday, right? Man, the sun was out, first day of spring. It was just a a day to bask in the love of the Father. I hope you all got outside and just enjoyed our first spring day. But Mosaic family, we want to welcome you here. We're in the season of Lent. We're 10 days away from remembering the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate it later tonight, and we, we, we want to remind you, if you hadn't picked that up, to please pick up uh, communion, because we'll be celebrating that tonight later after the, uh, after the teaching. But as we're in this season of Lent, I have no idea where all of you are at. If, if your family's going through just an incredible time of celebration during this spring, or if you're going through a really tumultuous time, As a family, all of us as a spiritual family are experiencing ups and downs. But during this Lent season, the 10 days we have left, can we do a spiritual exercise? When you wake up tomorrow morning, give God one thing. Before your feet hit the floor, give God one thing that you're thankful for. Then the next day, give him two things that you're thankful for. The next day, three Then the next day, four. And by the time that we celebrate the Last Supper, before Easter, we'll have ten things that we're thankful for. And hopefully if you're in that season where life's just kicking your teeth in, you'll be able to celebrate what Jesus has done. You will have prepared your heart for the Easter season as it comes before us. So let's prepare ourselves for that. We're going to celebrate Easter, and if, if you see this little hashtag and you can highlight on that, you'll get a whole bunch of news how that's going to be done here at Fellowship during that time. You know, as we're, we start to open up a little bit more at, as, uh, with COVID going on, we want to tell you what all is going to be happening that weekend. So there's, there's lots of different services that will still be happening on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, so please This is a time for us to come and celebrate our risen Savior. We've also, you know, I've heard that the greatest poverty that we can have in life, that all of us can have in life, is isolation. So over the past year, we've all been living in a little bit of poverty because we've been isolated. So it's our desire for all of us to be connected. So make sure that you're, you're trying to connect and deepen with one another through this season, okay? If you're new to Mosaic, this is how you get connected. If you hadn't been connected in a while, let's reconnect. This is important to us right now, okay? We talked about communion, but there's also a, uh, a tag on this stay connected. We, we have an annual men's retreat that's, uh, that's really celebrated Around here, a little time on the White River. There's not as many spots as there usually is. So, we'd really like you, uh, if you're interested in going on that, to to hop in and go on that as soon as possible or, or register for that. Would you please do me a favor and let's all stand together once again? Let's bow our heads in worship. Just prepare ourselves for what it is that the Lord has for us tonight. Father, thank you for this family that you have gathered here. Into your home, we submit ourselves. We ask you to prepare our hearts, minds, and souls for worship tonight. Let us celebrate you in your fullness for those of us that are worshiping from home tonight, Lord, be with them. Fill their hearts. Lord, let tonight be a time that we celebrate this book, this study that we have been doing, but Lord, we fully celebrate you, and we are released as your people to bring life change to the communities that we live in. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done in lifted up in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.
1: Held in Your hand, when castles crumble and breath is fleeting, upon this rock I will stand. Upon this rock I will stand.
0: For your goodness, thank you for your faithfulness, your long suffering, steadfast love for us. And we gratefully sit beneath your love tonight.
3: Amen. You can be seated. Well, good evening, Mosaic. Joy and a pleasure to be with you tonight um, as we wrap up our study through Joshua. I hope you have enjoyed this. I, I have mentioned before it's one of my favorite studies. Uh, I love the character and the, the story of Joshua so much. I named one of my sons Joshua, I named another one of my sons Caleb. Um, so I just, you know, I love it. It's been great. So I hope you have enjoyed it. We're going to wrap up tonight with uh, the, chap- the last two chapters which are essentially Joshua's farewell addresses. Uh, They kind of run together, but they're actually two different times that he speaks to to the the nation of Israel to give his final words. But as we get ready to wrap up, let's take a few minutes and kind of get the big picture of what this book is about. What is the book of Joshua really about? Well, the book of Joshua tells the story of God's people, the Israelites, Uh, Coming into the land that he had promised to Abraham would have been about 600 years before. He made a promise to Abraham, and he took him into this. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And he took Abraham to the land that we now, uh, in this passage, we're going to call it Canaan. And he said, I'm going to give you all of this land, and I'm going to fill it with your people I'm going to raise up a great nation. Well, Joshua is the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. They have gone into Egypt, and they have become a great nation. We're not really sure how many people came out of Egypt, but most scholars say it could be as many as 2 million people. That's a pretty good-sized group of folks, right? They went in, they were 70. They came out, they were 2 million. So now he, he made them a, many, a great nation. He multiplied them, and now he's bringing them back to the land, and so Joshua is all about them coming into the land. So the whole setting of this whole book, if you haven't noticed, has been the land. It's been all about Canaan, about the promised land. For Joshua and his people, this was that wonderful land of promise that they had, that had been handed down. The story had been handed down from generation to generation to generation. And for them, it was always home. Now one thing that stands out, for over 400 years, they have been a people who have not had a home. They were living in Egypt on somebody else's land, and then eventually they became slaves in Egypt, and so they actually themselves belonged uh, to to Pharaoh and, and to the rulers of Egypt. And when God led them out, they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. So they had been over 400 years a people without a home. Longing to go home, interestingly enough, to a home they had never seen before in their lives. Not one person who had entered into uh, the the land in the story of Joshua that we've been reading, not one person had ever seen that land before they left Egypt and came there. And yet they longed for that place for home. And Joshua, we see them finally coming home. And, th- and this is what uh, the promised land represented to them. It was the place where they could finally live in the promised blessings of God. And so at the end of his life, Joshua gathers his people and says, um, I'm, I'm advanced in years. I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm going the way of the earth. Let me give you some some words. You're in the land. God has given you this land. He's brought you home. Now, let me tell you how to live here. How do you live in the promised land? And that's what these two chapters really focus on. So what's the application for us? So uh, I'm not Jewish, so God didn't promise Canaan or what's now Palestine or Israel. It didn't promise that to me. So what's the application to us? Well, Jesus promised some things for those who would be followers of him. He promised freedom. He said to us, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And he promised that we could live and walk in freedom in this life. He promised us Uh, what he described, the abundant life. I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. He promised love and joy and peace and hope and forgiveness and purpose and meaning. Those were all things that Jesus promised us in this life. So how do we learn from Joshua and what he says to the Israelites? How do we learn how to live in those promises as well? So we're going to read Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Uh, as I begin reading this and you read along with me, you're going to go, wow, that sounds really familiar. You, many of you have this on a wall somewhere in your house, okay? I think we have it on a wall in our house. But here's what it says. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, of your, father, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How do we live in this land of promise? When you hear the command that Joshua gives here and and you hear it in, in other places, when you hear the command to serve God, what comes to your mind? Think about that. Is your first thought about doing things for God? When you say, I'm going to serve the Lord, is your first thought, well, what am I going to do for him? That's what most of us think it means to serve. And while serving involves doing things, when Joshua says to them, choose today whom you'll serve, the main idea behind this challenge is not about what are you going to do for God. Probably a better way to, to word it, to capture what he's saying is, choose this day to be the servant of God. You know, there's a difference in our minds when we think of the act of serving and the identity of being a servant. And Joshua is not talking about a challenge to activity. He's talking about a challenge to identity. How do you see yourself in relationship to this God who we're going to see a little bit has done all these things for you and given you this land? Choose today to be the servant of the Lord. You see, we can serve, do things, and still be our own master and be in control of our own lives. But when we think of being a servant, we know that we've moved from responsibilities to relationships. Being a servant speaks about the relationship between the servant and the master. Being a servant is an identity of who I am and specifically who I am in relationship to God. So Joshua teaches us that living in God's blessing is a reward of a faithful servant. If we want to live in the blessings of God, we must do so as faithful servants of God. And so as he talks to the Israel, he's, he's helping them understand what does it mean to live as a faithful servant of God. In chapter 23, <clears throat> Joshua uses the phrase, the Lord your God, that phrase, 13 times in 16 verses. When something gets repeated that often, you probably ought to underline it in your Bible. He's trying to make a point. He's talking about their relationship to God, the Lord your God, not the Lord the God, not the Lord the God of your fathers, which he actually is going to mention later, but he says the Lord your God, and he's talking about, trying to help them get their identity wrapped up in their relationship with their God. And it's in that context of the Lord your God that he issues this challenge to choose to be the servant of the Lord. And then Joshua points out three characteristics of a servant that I want us to look at. He says a servant of the Lord loves God, clings to God, and obeys God. A servant of the Lord loves God, clings to God, and obeys God. Let's look at each of these a little closer. First of all, a servant of the Lord loves God. Part of the problem of seeing serving primarily as activity is that we can confuse activity then with the relationship. If I am doing things for God, then I must have a good relationship with God. Look, I'm doing God's stuff. And we can get so busy about the activity that we think that that has then somehow been an evidence of the relationship. But our service for God should be first and foremost driven by our love for God. We do things for God because we love him, because of the relationship we have with him. And that's what Joshua is driving at. He says, he says I want you to choose whom you will serve. Not choose to do things, choose whom you will serve. Choose the master. In Romans chapter six and verse 16, Paul writes, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient servants, you are servants of the one whom you obey. Or as the great theologian and worship music writer Bob Dylan said,
4: you gotta serve somebody. And here's the reality. We're going to serve somebody. We don't get to choose if we
3: have a master, but we do get to choose who our master is. And that's what, that's what Joshua was saying. Choose today whom you'll serve. Either the God who brought you out or the gods of, the, of your fathers before on the other side of the river or the gods of this land, but you're going to choose one of them. You're going to choose the master. You're going to choose the relationship, he says. And then he goes on to say in chapter 23 and verse 11, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. This encouragement doesn't come out of a vacuum. He doesn't just out of the blue say, oh, and by the way, love God. In the verses just before this, Joshua had reminded them of, that God had driven out their enemies and had fought their battles just as he had promised. And then a few verses after this, he reminds them, not one word of the promise of God has fallen to the ground. I love how he words that. God has kept every word of his promise to you. That is the God that he's calling us to love. He's saying, look, look at all the evidence of what God has done for you. And then he goes in the first 13 verses of chapter 24 and just recounts all the things that God had done for for his people simply because he loved them. He was encouraging them to love because of the love that God had faithfully shown to them. In 1 John 4 and 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. Our love for God grows out of the experience of his love for us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter five, the greatest demonstration of God's love for us was Jesus's death on our behalf. So when we take time, to think about all the ways that God has loved us. When we take time to recount all the ways that God has shown and demonstrated his care for us, his goodness to us, that's why it's so important for us to tell the stories. If there's another thing that I hope you got out of Joshua, and you'll get this out of um, several of the stories from the New Testament, is that the reminder, oh, and by the way, tell your children and then tell their children, and pass the stories on. Why is it so important? Because in the telling of the stories, we're reminded God is so good, and he has blessed us so much, and his love keeps flowing over and over and over us, and out of that then, we can learn to love God. So, that when we come to the New Testament and Jesus says, Hey, the greatest commandment is that you love God completely. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love God. You do realize God didn't create us because He needed somebody
4: to do stuff for Him. It's not why He created us, He created us so that we could live in, receive, and reflect back his love. To be loved and to love. Secondly, a servant of the Lord clings to God.
3: When we love God completely, then we're moved to hold tightly to him. One definition of this word for cling is to be hard to remove from something. And when I read that definition, this, this word picture or this picture popped in my head. I have a granddaughter that can be like an octopus when she wants to hang on to me. I have literally had to peel her off of me sometimes. That's the picture of clinging that, that, that Joshua is saying. And he says, he says to, uh, to be, be careful and, and to cling to the Lord your God. And he says You be holding on to him so tight that it's practically impossible for anything to come between you and God. It's practically impossible for anything to separate you. Hold to him so tightly that nothing can drive a wedge between you. And then in light of this, he brings up some things that might drive a wedge between them. He says, for example, when you start looking at the people around you and the way they live and you become attracted to their ways and to these people, you can get drawn away from your love for God. Be careful, he says. And then he mentions when you have a desire for peace because you had to fight a lot of battles to get this land. And when you have a desire for peace, you don't want to fight any more battles There's a temptation, you may just want to make an alliance with these people that I told you to drive out, and your longing for peace could cause you to compromise, and it will drive a wedge between you and God. Be careful, he says, to cling to the Lord. A servant of the Lord clings to God, holds tightly to God. And then third, a servant of the Lord obeys God. As servants, our lives belong to our master. Now, remember the identity of the servant. Our lives belong to the master. If we are God's servant, then we will obey his word. In 23 and verse 6, he says, Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left. While obedience is not the same as discipleship, there is no discipleship without obedience. I'll say that again because I want you to, to get that. Obedience is not the same as discipleship. But there is no discipleship. There is no following Jesus without obedience. And so Joshua says you need to obey the word of the Lord. Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him, and we've come full circle. The servant of the Lord loves God because he or she is loved by God, clings tightly to God, and guards that relationship, and then obeys God, and in return, Jesus makes himself and his love known even more to him or her, and we walk in the blessings. The faithful servant. The reward of the faithful servant is living in God's blessing. But there's a second theme that runs through these two chapters. Twice in chapter 23, Joshua says, he warns them, you could actually be,
4: have this land of promise taken away from you. What could possibly happen?
3: Well, he addresses it in chapter 24 after his challenge that we read in the beginning. So here's how it went. Joshua issues the challenge. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether it's those gods or these gods or the God, you choose. And they said, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says back to them, you can't serve the Lord. You're not capable, you won't be able to stay faithful. And they came back and said, but no, no, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says, okay, if you're going to serve the Lord, get rid of
4: the false gods that are in your houses. As I read this,
3: that statement, that command just kind of jumped out at me and I realized here are these people who are passionately declaring their allegiance and devotion to God, and the whole time they had idols in their tents and in their houses. We're going to serve the Lord, and there's a, there's a little bale in my closet back here. No, no,
4: we will give our lives
3: to serve the Lord. And there's a little image of Ashtoreth over here on my
4: coffee table. the thing that will drive us out of the promised land, the threat to us living in God's blessing is idolatry. We're commanded to love God with our whole being. Idolatry
3: is loving something more than we love God. We're commanded to cling to God. Idolatry is clinging to something other than God. We are commanded to obey God. Idolatry is when we obey something or someone other than God. Tim Keller says this about idols. The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives Because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment, if we attain them. So if you want to know what idols you might be hiding in your heart, what idols might be in your tent, ask yourself these questions. What is there in my life that I couldn't
4: bear to live without?
3: What or whom do I center and focus my life on? What or who determines how I live and what I do? If your answer and my answer to
4: any of those questions isn't God, then I probably have an idol. Now
3: Joshua wasn't wrong when he told them they weren't capable of fully serving the Lord. He knew the weakness of our human nature and how easily our hearts are drawn away from God. And so God provided a way for our falling short, our turning away, our disobedience to be forgiven and covered. And that was through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. As Joshua closes his farewell address to his people, We're told that he sets up another stone memorial. If you've been reading through Joshua with us, you've noticed there've been a few stone memorials that have been set up, haven't there? And he sets up one last one. And he writes the words of the covenant on it. And he sets up this stone memorial to remind remind them of this commitment that was made between them and God. He said, I'm setting up this stone because it has heard all of your words. And as you see this stone, I want you to remember the covenant a pledge, we will be servants of the Lord and that they would be
4: drawn back into their commitment to be the servants of the Lord. When Jesus
3: was on the earth with his disciples the night before he was betrayed and crucified, he set up a memorial to remind us of his
4: covenant with us as well. And we're going to observe that by taking communion. So I want you to take the elements and hold them just just a moment. And as you hold this
3: tangible reminder of the covenant that Jesus made with us
4: and your response of faith and devotion back to him, I want you to
3: whisper this prayer or something like it just to kind of give you some guidance. Jesus, with your grace working in me, I will be a servant of the Lord. Jesus, with your grace working in me, I will be a servant of the Lord. Now, As you take the bread and drink the cup, I want you to be reminded of the body broken for all the ways we've broken faith with him and his blood shed to cover every sin that we have committed against him. Jesus, I thank you that, though I am incapable of loving you the way you deserve, you come in and make me whole and clean anyway. Though I'm incapable of, of obeying every word of your commands, you obeyed for me so that I could stand righteous before the Father. Make us a people who out of our deep love and devotion for you, who will cling to you and live in obedience to you, to be people like Joshua who can say, as for me and my house, by your grace,
5: Things have passed.
0: give you a moment to whether grab your phone and snap a picture of the slide or write these questions down for uh, later to so ponder about these to pray about these search your heart and even connect with your disciple making community on these discussion questions you heard of the the transition going on right now at mosaic and uh I just want to tell you a little bit of where we are. Um, We're extremely excited to uh, send and launch Scott Page and Matt Newman into the Samaritan communities and believe fully that the kingdom will grow because of God's work in their lives and their influence in those communities. And many are asking, what with Mosaic? And I'm here to tell you right now that we're okay with that and we are as a leadership team and a staff sitting in trust of our leadership our elder board and that they are led by God that they are following hard after God and we too are trusting the Lord's leadership for wherever we will go here at Mosaic One thing we're certainly doing is leaning into prayer. And rather than just the staff scurrying around and hurrying up and finding, you know, a new Matt Newman or something like that, like that person exists, um, we're going slow. And we're following the Lord and trusting that He has what is in front of us already known, and it'll be better than what we think it could be. And we trust fully uh, in His shepherding care of us as a body. And so, we are leaning into prayer uh, a lot right now. And we would ask that you would join us. That would be the best next step. Is commit days of your week to pray for where God would lead Mosaic, what He would do in our midst that we could watch and be a part of. That sounds pretty exciting. So let's start that now here tonight before we leave. Join me in in prayer for where God might lead us. Oh Lord, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for this body of mosaic. You have surely done so many miraculous, wonderful things and have been so faithful to us for so long. And we trust you as our faithful father and shepherd, that you will continue to faithfully guide us forward. So whatever you have in store for us, would you humble us before you? And let us look for what you're doing. Let us hopeful anticipate what you're doing and help us to follow. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. Enjoy your Sabbath tomorrow. We'll see you here.